Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Lindsay Lane East. Got some special things going on today. Get to celebrate baptism again today, which is why we have such a a bevy of guests over here in the corner. It's so good to see everyone this morning. Uh, Welcome to our friends who are joining us uh, via live stream on the Facebooks and the YouTubes. Um, Let's all stand to our feet as we prepare our hearts for worship. Um, This past week, we had a really cool opportunity to... um, to read God's word aloud together as a group, uh, we read through Hebrews, and it was it was very powerful. It was really awesome. I uh, hope we get to do it again real soon. But um, as as we read through that, you know, we we got to the section. In, uh, I believe it's chapter ten. Um, you guys can do your homework and make sure that I'm actually right. Um, where he talks about the assurance that we have because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, the assurance that um, comes with faith through Jesus, and uh, that's just such an exciting um, prospect, right? We have this assurance of, of eternity, this assurance that, that God is with us at all times, um, that only comes through Jesus. So let's, uh, in light of that, let's celebrate and worship together. Here we go. Let everything praise the Lord. Let everything in the world keep. 
Y'all for being here this morning. Uh, I, welcome to Lindsay Lane East. I'm Heath. I'm the pastor here, and we're so excited that you joined us to, for worship today. It's gonna be a fun day today. Um, we got a baptism to celebrate, which is always exciting. And so you hear about that here in just a second. But before I do, I just got to tell you, um, God God has assembled what I believe to just be an awesome staff here. And I'm not speaking of myself. I'm speaking of the other three that I get to serve with. <clears throat> I absolutely love uh, Kenny and Terry and Patrick. I just want you to know the, the heart that they have for you in this community and, and for making disciples here is off the charts, and they're awesome to serve with. But what, you, what a lot of you may not realize is that we've got a ton of volunteer leaders um, that serve in our church in different roles uh, that surround us as a staff. And so today, I've actually got, y'all coming up here, the Normans. I'm going to be presenting the Normans today for one of our new volunteer uh, roles. And so I'll let them get up here. This is Trey and Morgan and Kaylin and Hadley is in, in, the, in the kids' building. Um, so these are the Normans, and we love it. If you know the Normans, you know that they have a heart for the lost and the unreached around the world. And so I'm, we're presenting them to you today as our missions coordinators. And so they're going to be... Uh, leading a team of people uh, to to direct and to organize the mission efforts of our church going forward. And so uh, I want to present them to you today just so you can be praying for them so you can get their faces, uh, know them, and uh, so that also you can pray specifically for them about some specific things. Um, uh, One of the first tasks that we have to do together is to decide on missions partners. If, if you've been around since the first part of the year, you know we changed the way we do our missions now. So Lindsay Lane East will have its own missions partners now going forward. And so we're going to have some different levels of mission partners from here, from local, all the way to international partners. And so um, that's one of the first tasks the Normans have been given is figure it out. Um, so we're, we're thankful for them. And we're working with them. We didn't just dump it on them. Uh, but we're working with them to figure out what where where would God have us invest the next few years of our mission efforts. And we believe that's an important question to ask. And so we ask for you to pray for wisdom uh, for us, but also for the Normans as we make that decision together. Um, also, be praying for yourself because in October, uh, also a new thing that's coming to our church, we're having what we call a give-to-go mission offering. And so yearly, where we're going to be gathering together, um, praying and seeking the Lord and also uh, bringing in finances, sacrificial finances that are all going to go directly into either, either into the hands of missions and ministry partners or are going to be kept in-house for us to go and do missions um, as a church. And so that will be coming up in October. So mark your calendar there. That will be coming up. Uh, you'll be hearing more about that from the Normans and from us as we go forward. But we just really wanted to pray a prayer of commissioning over them today. 
Um, I ask God to strengthen them and give them wisdom. Okay, so bow your heads with me. As soon as I say amen, you'll be turning your attention to the baptistry, okay? Father, I thank you, God, so much uh, for for Trey and for Morgan and for uh, Kaylin and for Hadley. Um, God, we know that, um, God, that you've, you've called them to follow you. God, we've seen, uh, we've seen the heart of Jesus and, and Trey and Morgan and Kaylin and, um, God, and Hadley. We're just continuing to pray for her as she gets older and learns more. And God, we'll begin to see uh, her heart for you. And, uh, Father, I pray. For this family, God, that you would strengthen them as individuals, God, that they would they would walk closely with you, um, God, that they would have a passion and a hunger for you. And God, I also pray that you would just strengthen them as a family, God, that you would uh, keep them close um, to you and to one another. And God, um, uh, just continue to, to bless them and use them, God. And we pray, uh, God, for their specific role here at East, God, that you give them wisdom. Um, help them to, uh, to to hook up with the right missions partners and uh, as we move forward. And, God, that uh, the places you would have us to go and to serve and to be involved, God, I pray that you would put it on the hearts of the Normans, um, God, so that we can passionately pursue you as a church. Um, and so, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to commission them. And, God, I pray that you would uh, to use the, the next few years here at East, God, um, in such a way, God, that only you can get credit for. And, God, that we can see incredible things happen, uh, God, through the faithfulness of volunteer leaders like Trey and Morgan and so many that will be going on trips and giving and praying. We love you, God, and we thank you that you let us partner with you in missions. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Yes, Now, turn your attention to the water to the Allen family. The Allen family. <laughs> Step on the flowers. Yeah. Step on the flowers. Okay. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Well, grace and peace, everyone. Uh, I'm thankful to be here with you today. Uh, this is my son, Toby, and he accepted Christ during VBS and uh, confirmed it. Uh, then they went to Camp Joy, and so uh, we are thankful to be here for baptism today. So, Toby... Have you repented of your sins? Yes. All right. Toby, are you trusting alone in Jesus for your salvation? Yes. And you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. All right. I baptize you, my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. I love you. All right. Come on, back. <laughs> so awesome to see another another soul baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet as we continue in worship. Just wanted to say a, a quick personal note on the on the Normans commissioning and Trey and Morgan have meant so much to, to me, this ministry and the, the tech ministry, but as well as, as my family and um, I couldn't think of two better folks to uh, accomplish that mission. So Him or all things. 
Gracious Father, we're so grateful for who you are, for what you've done for us. God, that as we look forward to Jesus' return, we know you have a job for us here to do on this earth. God, you've given us a very specific task to reach the farthest reaches, the ends of the earth with the gospel. God, let us never take that lightly. As a church and as individuals, God, we have a mission pray that you would enable us to do that mission, that you would give us the strength and the power through Jesus Christ to further your kingdom in this place. And Heavenly Father, I just want to pray over this message that we're about to hear today, Lord, as we hear how you've chosen to reflect the gospel through our relationships and our closest relationships. God, through our spouses, through our children, that you've chosen those relationships as gospel-centered. You had that plan all along. Father, as we open your word and we study this together, God, I pray that each and every one of us would be changed, that we wouldn't leave this place the same, that we would enable your spirit to, to work on us through your word. God, that you would use that same spirit to speak through our pastor. We just pray that as we open your word together, God, that we would be moved for your glory. Father, we love you. We praise you. We sing of Jesus in his holy name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here with us. Man, I love celebrating baptism, don't you? Amen. What you guys may not know, uh, DJ and Alyssa, Toby's uh, Toby's mom and dad, uh, Alyssa is my oldest friend. Uh, we've known each other from the day she was born. She's three days younger than me, and so she was my first friend. Um, we were babies, and we didn't have friends, I guess, but I've known Alyssa longer than I've known anybody else. Um, so I'm so thankful for them and to have them members here at Lindsay Lane East and their families are here. who have meant a lot to me over the years too. And so, so thankful to have them here and so thankful for what God's done in Toby's heart. If this is your first time worshiping with us, um, and we just want you to know we're pumped that you're here. Um, if you're a guest, uh, we actually have a gift for you in our lobby today. We would love to give that to you. Um, if you'll just take that card from the back of the seat in front of you, we call our Connect card. Fill out as much information as you feel comfortable with. Drop it by Next Steps on your way out. We'll actually give you a Lindsay Lane East t-shirt um, that you can wash dishes with or wear, whatever you want. Um, but we'll give that to you along with some info about our church. And uh, we would just love to be able to put that in, put that information in your hand. So take, put this in our hand, and we'll put that in your hand, and then we'll all have a blessed day. Amen? All right. Um, I am so thankful to be able to, uh, to bring God's Word today. We're in week seven of this message series that's been through the whole summer called uh, Summer Show. I got used to looking at the TVs. Big shout out to Josh Richardson for working tirelessly this week to get the TVs up and running. Uh, the projector screen will be coming down. We just got to, yeah, go uh, flat for wherever Josh is. He disappears. He's still back behind the TV. Um, the projector screen will be coming down, but there's nothing behind it, so we got to figure out what we're doing. Anyway, it's another story. 
Today we're in week seven of this sermon series called Summer School, and uh, I'm excited to be able to to continue this. We've we've covered all almost all the major themes of the book of Ephesians this summer, and today we're looking at the family. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. That's where we'll be here in a second. Um, this morning I'm going to say some things that may be hard to hear, um, but know they're coming from God's word. Okay, I'm also going to say some things that you expect me to say, but don't tune me out because you've heard it before. And hopefully I'm going to say some things that you don't expect me to say and don't think I'm crazy. Okay, that's, that's my plea to you. Because uh, everything we're going to look at is from God's Word today, and, and I believe God has a word for us. So let me read verses 22 through 33 of Ephesians 5. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and start working through this. Verse 22, the Word of the Lord says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, um, and the wife is to respect her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, uh, that you've given us your word to stand on. God, we uh, wholeheartedly believe that uh, your word is true from beginning to end. And uh, God, I pray that today you'd help us to understand this uh, this two-sided mystery um, that Paul's talking about here. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to, to understanding and give us wisdom based on your word today. Uh, be with us today and teach us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, now that I've read them, let me just say, these verses can show enough stir some emotion in folks, can't they? If you're a guy in the room and you started thinking, that's right. That's right. That's not good, okay? Uh, if you're a lady and you felt a, uh, a fire within your bones when you heard the word submit, it's, it's emotion. We can't, maybe can't control those things, but we're going to work through that, okay? Or, and also some of you may be single, and you probably eye-rolled me, right? And you're thinking, awesome, I love marriage sermons, right? <laughs> um, some of you may be divorced, and maybe it stirred up some frustrating thoughts for you. Whatever the case, if you'll listen today, if you'll hang in there with me, whether you're a man, a married man, a married woman, a single who wants to stay that way, a single who doesn't want to stay that way, or a divorcee, everybody in between, I promise you, God has a word today. Hang in there with me, okay? So, um, I love doing this. I love reading 12 verses to you and then saying, that's not where we're going to start. But that's what I got to say today. Because here's what you got to understand. When Paul comes to write the book, the, the letter to that church at Ephesus, He's working with a whole framework already in his mind. 
He's already got an understanding of what marriage looks like from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And so that's why when he gets to verse 31... Right when he gets that, he quotes it without even just like he just throws a quote from from the book of Genesis right in there, and so we can't talk about Ephesians five because we're building on something I don't know if it's there in your mind yet. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to lay the foundation that Paul had in his mind, which is by going back to the Hebrew Scriptures first. I promise you, we're going to get back to Ephesians five, okay? But in Ephesians five thirty one, this is what he says: For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. If you're a good Bible reader, you should hear, you should hear that and go, "Wait, I've heard that before. I've heard that." Right? That's what we hear call it East a hyperlink. Right? Paul's using something that's already been said. He's pointing back to something that's already been happened. And so, when you click on a hyperlink, what does it do? It carries you to another page. Let's go to the other page. All right. This is from the book of Genesis, early in the book of Genesis. In fact, uh, the first two chapters. Paul had this, this clear understanding, a good understanding of creation and humans, uh, God creating humans in the first place. So let's go there. If you're a note taker, this is point number one. Man and woman were both created in God's image. So from the very beginning, Paul has this, this theology in mind here. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Here's what you got to understand. When God creates Adam, there is, um, we always jump to Adam, but what is the he, the Hebrew word that gets translated Adam? It was pronounced Adam, right? That's the, also the word for all of humanity. So it's it's, especially in chapter one, what we don't see is God creating a man. It says he created man. He created humanity. In his image. And then it says he created them male and female. So here's what you got to understand. Wives, you were created, women, you were created in the image of God just as much as men were. Uh, most, most people agree with that. But here's what you got to understand. The Bible has gotten a bad reputation of, uh, of creating a patriarchal society that's led by men. Okay. Here's what you need to know. This is because we're in 21st century and we don't recognize this. The Bible from beginning to end is one of the most liberating documents to have ever been put together for women. The Hebrew Scriptures all the way through to the life of Jesus. It was written in a time in which men were perceived to be better than women, but that is not what we see in God's Word. It's not what we see Jesus do in His ministry. They were seen as, oh, y'all better get ready. This is a politically charged term. Very liberal, okay? I don't mean that today's terms. I'm talking about those terms, okay? But this, the, the whole Bible, it would have been no doubt been viewed this way. And I want to give you just some evidence. If you're thinking, if, you, if you've always thought this, let me help you with that. First off, men and women were both created in God's image. But also, Paul in Ephesians 5 doesn't say women submit to, uh, women submit to men, right? It's not what he says. He says, wives submit to your husband. So there's not, he, Paul's not laying out in Ephesians 5, nor is it laid out anywhere else, that all women are to submit or are inferior to men. That already existed in the day. That was already going on. God's messengers through the word are actually pushing back against the misogyny of their day. Further evidence in Ephesians 5 is that Paul gave a task to men too. He didn't just say, wives, submit to your husbands, and men, make sure she does. Right? That would have been a lot easier on us men. 
That's not what he said. He said, husbands, love your wives. Right? He turns his attention. He speaks to the wives. He says, submit to your husbands. Voluntarily submit to your husbands. And then he said, it's almost like he's got earmuffs, right? Men, put your earmuffs on. And he speaks to the wives and he says, submit to your husbands. He says, okay, now wives, put your earmuffs on. And he talks to the husbands and he says, love your wives. Those are two very distinct, distinctly different things. But it's, it's clear from Ephesians 5 and all the way back that the plan was never for a man to rule over a woman. You will not find that terminology spoken of well throughout Scripture. From the very beginning, this is why we have to start here. Paul's working with a mindset that man and woman are created, created equal in worth, in value, and in dignity. Ladies, you need to understand that. And they were also destined by God to rule together. Man and woman were placed over the garden together. So something happened all about Genesis 3 that changed things. Right? So if you're a note taker, again, jot this down. Sin wrecked our relationship with one another. So the humans that God created did not live up to the call and the expectation of God. Um, they broke the rules that had been set up from the beginning. And this is what you need to understand. In that sin, there were eternal repercussions. When Adam and Eve sinned, there were eternal repercussions that would affect the relations, their relationships and the relationships of men and women throughout the generations. God had called man and woman to rule together over creation. We don't get a lot of clarity of what that ruling looked like before sin, but we get a lot of clarity of what their relationship looked like after. We see this in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. God's, after man and woman have sinned, God begins to hand out uh, how things are going to look different going forward. This is what he says to the woman. I will intensify your labor pains. Amen, ladies? Whew. Anyway, sorry. Um, we will bear children with, you will bear children with painful effort. That's an important thing to note. Painful effort, painful labor. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So notice the repercussions for the woman. They affect her role as mother and wife, and the roles for the husband affect his, uh, or the, the repercussions for the husband affect his uh, role as breadwinner and provider. Both will experience painful labor, used in the text in both places. But it's in what he says to the woman that is the relationship killer. The woman is told that her desire will be for her husband. And in English, that looks good, right? Like, I want my wife's desire to be for me. And I want my desire to be for her. But it's got to be a bad thing because God's saying it like it's a bad thing. If you, do a, if you do a word study, look for that phrase all throughout the Old Testament. It's in one other place. The desire for some, someone else. It's found in one other place and it's found on the next page of your Bible. Genesis 4. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. 
Cain gets ticked at Abel. Long story, but he gets mad. And he gets to a point where he's so mad he wants to kill him. He's going to kill his own brother. And God tries to intervene in verse 7 of chapter 4. God says this, If you do what is right, won't you be accepted, Cain? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. You see it. It's a lot of similarity. In the Hebrew, it's almost identical. So Paul, I mean, uh, not Paul. Yes. Where are we? No, Genesis. Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, um, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. And then in, in chapter 4, he says, Cain, sin's desire is for you. And so because we don't necessarily understand what's going on in Genesis 3, I think we do understand what's going on in Genesis 4. What does it mean for sin's desire to be for you? What does sin want to do to you? It doesn't just want to mess with you. It doesn't want to, pick, doesn't want to nag at you. Right? Speaking marriage terms. It wants to control you. It wants to rule over you. That's what sin wants to do. And so when we take that context back to Genesis 3, what is God saying by woman, your desire will be for your husband? It becomes clear that the woman's desire will be to control the actions of her husband. Don't elbow him. We're not done yet. Just as sin was desiring to control the actions of Cain, it will be in the heart of woman to desire to control her husband. But instead of the woman winning the fight, God actually says, but he will rule over you. He will rule over you. The only time in which God's going to say the man will rule over the woman there will be an endless battle for control in the marriage relationship. I've seen it in couples I've talked with. I've seen it in friends' marriages at times. And I wish I didn't have to read the next part, but I've seen it in my marriage. Right? Either my desire to control or wife's desire for, to control. And then what happens when the other one wants to control? You fight for control back. And then what do they do? They fight for control, and it's this endless cycle, just over and over and over again. Here's what you need to know. Neither is supposed to be in control. Neither man nor woman is to rule. That's not honorable to God. That's what the text is saying. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. God doesn't say, and that's good. It was good when they were ruling together. Genesis chapter 1. It was very good. But now they, when God says there's going to be this endless battle for control, for the man and woman, for either one of them to try to get control is a sin, listen, that abandons the image of God principle. That man and woman were both made in the image of God with equal value, worth, and dignity. Humanity was made, both man and woman. Therefore, there is not a right to rule over the other or gain control. Those are not healthy ideas. And so, as you continue to read through, that's, that's in Genesis 3. didn't take long for us to mess stuff up. Then you read through the next big sake, like the rest of it, right, in the Old Testament. 
And what we begin to see is that it just continues. There's, there's always a spousal fight. There's something always going on. You see a constant battle between husbands and wives, but you also begin to notice that it doesn't seem to be just between husbands and wives. What got wrecked in Genesis 3 does not just affect a marriage relationship. It affects all of our relationships. Your desire is to control others rather than to be controlled. That's the, at the heart. That, that goes for your workplace, right? And you all got a workplace situation like that? Where it's a con, like you're just, there's always somebody vying for somebody else's job, backbiting, arguing, posting on Facebook, I don't know, whatever. It exists in, 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 in every situation. Everyone is looking for an, an upper hand. We see it all through the Old Testament, a little bit more power. Then we see it in the New Testament. You've got a group of religious leaders who have been called by God to equip and to serve and to lead God's people. But what do they do instead? They set the religious system up in such a way that everybody needs them and they're in control. When you want to make a decision, you come and talk to the high priest. You come and talk to the Sadducees, the Pharisees. You come and talk to the religious leaders. This is what's going on in the New Testament. A desire to rule and to have power. It's in marriages, it's in politics, it's in workplaces, and sadly it even exists in some churches today. A battle to control others. And so the question stands, are we destined to dance like this forever? Are we? I think of... Uh, uh, what is that? It's a scary when I get away from my notes. This is uh, The Dark Knight, the second Batman movie of the three trilogy. Right? There's a moment where Batman and Joker are there, and Joker says to Batman, I think we're destined to do this for, forever, right? to battle against one another. And, I, and I, that's the question. right? That's the question looming when we leave Genesis 3. Will humanity ever be brought back where we can have healthy relationships? Or is it always going to... And you go through the whole Old Testament and you go, no. It's always going to be a battle. It's always going to be a fight. Is there any fix for this? Enter Ephesians chapter 5. Paul comes onto the scene and he helps us see how the marriage relationship can work well. It can. Even though there are sinful desires within us. Point number three for note takers. Marriage is, in big, in big letters, one part of the fix. Marriage is one part of the fix for this issue. Paul shows his readers here that married couples can live in such a way that foregoes all the problems that accompany our sinful desires and relationship. There's a way that a husband and wife can live together and honor God while not forsaking the image of God principle. It can happen. Neither party in this passage, and I'll argue this, and you can, you can buy my lunch and we'll talk about it, but you're going to be wrong. Neither party is given the right to rule in Ephesians 5. Nor will you find it anywhere in Scripture. Both are given specific roles to fulfill so that the tension that is lurking will stay at bay. I want to show you that. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Right? Later he used the word respect in the same way. This is going against the very desire that Genesis 3 said was lurking in the heart of a woman. 
Her desire will be for her husband, to rule over her husband. Paul says, even though that desire may be in you, submit. The very thing that you want to do, do the opposite. And honor God the whole way. You see how, how, how what, what, what seems to be going to us to submit is to put someone else's will above your own. Not fighting for control, but instead submitting is the way in which God has called wives to interact. And this is what you need to know. It's a voluntary submission. Voluntary submission. If Paul had stopped, we might think that it's the husband's role to make sure this happens and make sure it's not voluntary. But because this submission is voluntary, the moment that husbands begin to demand respect and submission, you forsake the image of God principle. The moment that you begin to demand respect or demand authority in the home is the very moment that you begin to live as if you're more important than she is. So what's going on. It, it, it forsakes it. You look more like the Genesis 3 image than we do the Ephesians 5 image. Fighting for control. Instead, Paul says, not husbands rule over your wives, but husbands love your wives. And it ain't just that he said love, it's the way he described it. He goes on to describe this love as a sacrificial, life-giving love. And he models it by pointing to Jesus. He models it by saying, husband, do you want to know how to love your wife? Love her like Christ loved the church. If you're new to the faith and you don't understand that, it's a lot. That's what that means. Love her a lot. Be willing to lay down your life for her. This is more than a birthday card, anniversary card, say I love you once in a while, but sit on your tail at the house and, and not do jack and call it love. That ain't what we're talking about, men. What we're talking about here is lovingly sacrificing for our wives. There's also an image where he says washing her with the water of the word. It's this idea of, of spiritually leading her. Spiritually leading her. It's a sacrificial out front love that draws the wife to follow you as you follow Christ. Husbands, your families need they need us to love like this. Fathers, our families need us to love like this. Men, your community needs you to love like this. As I said on point three, marriage is one part of the fix. When a husband loves a wife, uh, loves his wife and, and his wife submits, like Ephesians 5 lays out, that'll be a couple that honors God and celebrates the image of God in one another. As we've already said, it's not the only place we see fractured relationships. And so I've noticed this for a long time, that there's a bigger conversation going on in Ephesians 5 and rolling into chapter 6. After Paul spends time talking about how uh, a Christian can break the cycle of sin in a marriage, he then talks about how it should look with children. Kids, y'all pay attention. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's an Old Testament text. He takes aside for a second, which is the first commandment with a promise. Then he flips back to the Old Testament, hyperlink, so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. 
Children, that's the call that God has for you. So obey your father and mother. But just as God did with the marriage couple, he didn't quit there. Because as a parent, that's all I need to hear. Don't tell me anything else. Well, well stop, Paul. Just tell my kids what, how they need to submit to me. That's all I need. But then he says, just as he did with the, just as he did with the husbands earlier, he now says, fathers, uh, doggone it. Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you think about it, it's very, it's, it's a similar idea of what's going on when he said to the wives, how we're supposed to love them and to lead them spiritually. And Paul goes on from here, and this is not necessarily about the family, but it's in the conversation, so let's go there. He goes a step further and explains a type of relationship that honestly, it's got to be the hardest of all to stay Christ-like in. And that's what Paul calls the slave-owner relationship. It's right after this, the next thing in the text. He says this, uh, the earliest, or you need to know this, the earliest followers of Jesus were not powerful people by any means. There were a few. But most of Jesus' early followers were quite the opposite. Jesus' countercultural message and lifestyle was first accepted by outcasts, the poor, and those with nothing else to lose in life. Several of them, we find out, were slaves. Go homework for this afternoon tonight. Read the book of Philemon. It's dealing with the slave-owner relationship. And so... A lot of them were slaves. And though they now understand the image of God that, hey, my owner ain't no better than I am. We were both created in the image of God. What Paul does not call them to do is to revolt and blow their owner's house up and leave. He actually calls them to voluntarily submit. In that situation, look at what he said. Verse 6 through 8. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from the heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord. That echoes back to the wives, right? Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive this back from the Lord. The slaves of the first century were mostly slaves working off debts. This is not a racially driven, this is not a cultural uh, slavery like what we've experienced in the United States and in other places, okay? Um, this is much more of a socioeconomic um, uh, situation that was going on. But but as before, Paul doesn't just say, slaves, submit to your owners. He goes further. And masters, <laughs> treat your slaves the same way. Don't threaten them. Because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So the common theme through all three of these examples, husband and wife, children and parents, uh, own, uh, slaves and owners, is that Paul Paul is explaining how to retain a healthy view of the image of God in all of our relationships. And I'd seen this in the text before, but um, as I was studying, what I noticed is that this flow of thought does not begin with wives. It does not begin in verse 22 and roll into chapter 6. It actually goes further back. Look at verse 21. Here's how I know. Paul's addressing the church as a whole. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And the very next thing he says, wives, submit to your husbands. So all that we just talked about, this Ephesians 5, is coming in in the middle of a conversation that's already going on. Paul says within the church there must be a mutual submission among members of the church. Yes, we're all equal, and yes, 
you you shouldn't have to serve that person. And yes, changing diapers in the nursery is gross. But voluntarily submit yourself to serve others. It's the only way the church can exist. It's the only way it's going to happen. Otherwise, we all just come in here to look at each other. Who's going to hold my baby? I don't know who's going to hold my baby. Who's going to preach? I don't know. I should. I'm better than you. Right? Like, it's this conversation. We've got to mutually submit to one another. This thought doesn't begin in verse 21. Let's go back to verse 15. We read this two weeks ago. Verse 15 through 21. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Amen. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. But be filled by the Spirit. And what happens after be filled by the Spirit is a list of things of what that looks like. To be filled with the Spirit. Then he says this, but be filled by the Spirit. In our English translation, you see the colon there that says, hey, I'm fixing to describe what I mean. It's not in the Greek, but it seems to be what he's saying. Be filled by the Spirit. What does that mean? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So if you follow the flow of thought, you'll notice that Paul challenges his readers to be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe it. Singing to one another and to the Lord. Giving thanks for everything. And what else? Submitting yourselves to one another in the Lord. Why is that important? Paul is clearly saying in Ephesians 5 is that one of the outflows of the Spirit of God working in a believer is that believer's ability and willingness to submit to others. I know they're not better than me. We were all created in the image of God, but God is calling believers to make the sacrifice and put another person's will above their own. And he says when we do that, We are living by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit. It's after that that Paul goes on to show three specific ways. Husband and wife, children and parents, slave and owner. And it hit me. When I love my wife well, like Christ loved the church, it doesn't make me a good husband. It means I'm filled with the Spirit. When my wife voluntarily submits and follows me, sometimes even when I'm not being a good leader. It doesn't make her a good wife. It means the Spirit of God is at work through her. When my children obey me, even when I'm not being a good daddy, and when I, lead, when I do actually lead them well, that doesn't make them good kids or me a good daddy. It means that we are working with the Spirit through us. It means that God has empowered us with His Spirit to do these things. And I just believe that we've accepted a lie of the devil. That we are living our lives fighting for control in every one of our relationships. And not realizing that all the while when we do that is to forsake the image of God that is innate in us. When you want to rule over someone else, you're putting yourself above them and it doesn't honor God. 
Because we live this way, when we live to fight for control, we are totally devoid of the Spirit of God in us. Because if, if to submit to others is to live a Spirit-filled life, it stands to reason when we don't submit to others, what does that mean? The Spirit ain't at work in your life. This is an important thing that clicked in my head this week. And y'all just get to see me explode it all over you right here. If you're a Christian in the room, I was going to ask you this. Let's change this. Let's stop buying the lie and let's live spirit-filled. Let's look for ways that we can submit to others regularly. And if you need practice, like do it in weird times. Like let somebody in line in front of you. Like at, at Jack's. Oh my goodness. At um, this is on Facebook. Anyway, we went to a restaurant the other day, and they were understaffed, and it took a really long time, so we had to leave. But in that moment, like even when it's been a long time, at whatever location you happen to stop at, let the person, let, let somebody in front of you. Does that person deserve to be in front of you? No, but it's practicing submission. Look for opportunities throughout the day to practice it. That's what God's called us to do. Surrender your will for the will of others. Don't fight to get your way. And if you're not married in the room, or even if you are, listen to this. Marriage isn't some, like, A-list, perfect thing that God... You know this, right? I asked my wife this this week. Who are the two most prominent men in the New Testament? I would say Paul and Jesus. (laughs) Neither one of them are married. Both of them live lives that honor God. So what I'm saying is that marriage is not some thing that if you're not in it or yours fell apart, that God can't use you. Because what we know about marriage is that it isn't an original idea of God's. In fact, marriage is just a picture of something much greater that was already in God's heart from the beginning. Long before God created man and woman, God had in his heart the picture, Christ and the church. Paul says the marriage relationship is supposed to image that. A husband lovingly leading and willing to sacrifice everything for a submissive spouse. Giving up his own life if necessary. And when a husband and wife do this thing right, I've said it in every marriage ceremony I've ever performed, the watching world who may never step into a church gets a glimpse of the love of Christ. Your marriage can be an image of the love of Christ to a lost and dying world. But it's not just your marriage. All of your relationships, when lived out properly in voluntary submission, are designed to bring glory and honor to God and show His love to the nations. Listen, from the very beginning, God created man and woman not to live apart. You know that. God created man and then He created woman and He said, be together. That's what Paul says, become one flesh. But that one flesh wasn't just so they could have a baby and be happy and live fulfilled lives now that they've got a kid. The goal of of, uh, their children was never to make them happy because God also said multiply, fill the earth. God took Adam and Eve 
and use them to populate the earth. And then the goal has always been to live together in community, not for their own sake. Look at uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? They waited for a long time to have a child. 25 years of waiting as a married couple that God had said, you're going to have a child. And 25 years ago, they finally have him. Isaac was not given to Abraham and Sarah for their own good. He was given to them, to the world, so that he might, God might be a blessing to all nations. You need to recognize that. This was never about their family. Then God used a young couple named Mary and Joseph, and he gave them a little baby boy. And it wasn't so that they could feel fulfilled and happy in their life. It was so that God could bring blessing to all nations. All of our relationships are at this effort. And then God has called the church not to come together so that we got a cool country club and that you got friends. Right? We've been called together, yes, to be friends, but to come together for the sake of the nations here and around the world. We have a task before us. This is the plan of God from the very beginning. I brought, I made multiple Uh, I took one and I made multiple so that they could come together and reach the multitudes. That was a lot of hand gesturing. But do you get that? God made humanity and then he made two so that they would come together so that he could bless all nations. (laughs) That'll make sense later. (laughs) And listen, today, if you have not trusted in this Jesus, who was the perfect example of a husband who gave up his life for you, you can. The Bible has given you a clear path towards that. God wants today to transform all of your relationships by first letting you experience the perfect form of voluntary submission in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Though all of humanity was dead in sin, separated from God for all of eternity, Jesus stepped in and loved us when we didn't deserve love. He gave up his life so that we could have ours. Today we're going to sing one more song. We got decision council. We'll have decision counselors by the back door, and I'll be available up here. They would love to talk with you. They'll walk you probably into one of the rooms in the hallway. Just have a conversation with you about what it looks like to follow Jesus and how you can begin that relationship. But here's what I also want you to know: that ain't all this message was for, right? Husbands, well, let me speak to wives. Wives. Um, I know it's hard. We don't lead well sometimes. But but if you will seek God more than you seek your spouse and you'll allow him to fill you You can lovingly submit in a way that honors God and honors your marriage, even when it's hard. And when you do it, you need to know that's the spirit of God in you. It doesn't make you a good wife. It means God's working through you. Husbands, let's get off our tails. Let's do something. Let's show love in the way that we've been called to. Men, y'all thought you was going to get off. 
those that ain't married. God's called you to love and submit in the church, in your workplace. God's called us to live a life that's different than what your desires in you want to do. It's in the desire of man to demand respect from others. God nowhere condones that. In fact, he says right the opposite. When you don't feel respect from those around you, continue to love. Continue to love. If your home is broken right now, marriage relationships are awry, God still wants to get glory through that. If you and I will surrender to the Spirit of God to work through us and in us, God will get glory by the way we submit to others. You may want to come to this altar, as some did in the first service, and just pray for your marriage, pray for your work relationships, pray for your family relationships. You may just want to come and kneel to this altar and pray for some of those things, or pray for somebody else in your life that you know is struggling with some of these things. I'll also pray for you if there's something I can do for you. Pray for you down here at the altar. Again, decision counselors by the back door. We just want to help you take the next step that God has before you so that you can continue to grow in the way that he has for you. Amen. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, we'll all stand and sing and respond however God leads you. Father, I thank you, God, that uh, God, that you... Uh, in Christ have given me as a husband the perfect example of how I should love Kelly how I should lead my kids how I should love and equip this church how I should honor my parents God how I should engage the nations and God I believe um, that you've, you've, you've given everyone here those things um, in Christ. And today, God, I pray if there's anybody here who's never trusted in Him, that they would, uh, they would surrender their will to yours, mutually submit, uh, not mutual, uh, voluntarily submit to the will of Christ in their life and be changed today. God, I pray over this this time of response that you'd give us wisdom and um, what next steps we can take, God, so that when we leave this place, we're different than when we came in. Father, we thank you so much for all of these things and for this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You stand, sing, respond however God leads. Oh, God.
Amen. You can have a seat really quick. Uh, just before we get straight into the announcements, I would like to publicly apologize uh, to Jax. Um, you can tell Heath don't eat there much. Um, I have much more of a personal relationship with Jax. So I can't stand them being mad at us. So I'm sorry if you're watching. Uh, the other thing is, uh, before we get into announcements, giving, uh, we've still got multiple ways to give. Uh, Blue Bucket on the way out the door. We still have an online giving option that's very easy to get to. If you go to the events.lindsaylaneeast.org, it's there. You can always send it in the mail. There's still multiple options to give But event-wise, we have a video. All right, so what's up? We are at Point Mallard, and we are going to give you all the information you need uh, for family night here at Point Mallard based off of what number this group gives us. The number they give us, we're going to go down this sign, and we're going to do the next announcement based off the number they give us to match with this sign. All right, and y'all chosen which number? Three. 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 Where are you guys from? Decatur. Decatur. All right, that's a long ways away. We're glad you guys are out here at Point Mallard today. they chosen three. Three is one, two, three, the Olympic pool. So we're on the way to the Olympic pool to give you our first announcement. All right, so we want to invite you out Sunday night, August the 8th, from 630 to 930 here at Point Mallard in Decatur, Alabama. Hope to see everybody there. And now we've got uh, some park staff here to let us know uh, our next stop in our announcements. And I'm here with Cameron Harris. Cameron. Cameron, tell me, uh, pick a number 21 and 7. Let's go with 5. 5. All right. That is, oh, good choice. The Sky Pond. We'll see you there. So we're going to have two tickets free per family. And after that, the tickets are going to cost you $10 per person. All right, and so I'm going to get my next marching orders from this lady right here. Tell us your name. Gretchen Crop. All right, Gretchen, so you need to pick a number between 1 and 7, and it's going to be where I'm going to be presenting our next announcements. Okay. Number 4. Number 4. All right, so 1, 2, 3, 4. I will be at the Duck Pond. Thank you so much, Miss Gretchen. You're welcome. And so with your two free tickets, we want you to be really intentional. If you've got a family or some friends that God has laid on your heart that you want to see be a part of what we're doing here, give them those free tickets, and then you go ahead and buy those tickets at full price to $10 for you and the rest of your family. Guys, we got a few complaints about some horseplay in the pools. I don't know, but we gotta ask y'all to leave. We have to not tolerate it here. August the 8th, it's coming. Uh, tickets are going to sell. You can get those next week um, out in at Next Steps next week. So be ready to buy those. And then now I'm going to go backwards. This Friday night at Maine at 6, the doors open at 6.15 at 6.45. Bo Nix, which is the quarterback at Auburn. And if you're old like me, you remember his dad, Patrick Nix. Uh, they're going to be there sharing their testimony this Friday. If you're interested in that, it's a free event. Doors open at 6.15. 
Uh, they'll start speaking around 645. So you're welcome to go there. That's this Friday night. A reminder, this Wednesday, we do not have services here. Uh, we're actually going to lock this whole entire building down and wash the carpet. Uh, so it'll be locked, uh, closed, so we will not have services this Wednesday. Uh, and then last but not least is today at 4 o'clock at Camp Pelin uh, is our family fun day. Uh, it's a great opportunity just to have a good time, meet some people that you don't get to see a lot. A uh, ton of stuff to do there. There's, uh, I wrote it down, swimming, fishing. There's a slip and slide. There's going to be a cornhole tournament. We're going to play kickball. There's just a ton of stuff to do. Uh, around 6.15, we're going to eat hamburgers and hot dogs. You get to bring a side or dessert, a dessert, <laughs> a dessert or a side or a dessert, <laughs> and a chair. Bring a chair. Chair's not optional. And then you can bring a side or a dessert. Dessert. So bring a side of dessert today. So please be there. Four o'clock, come and have a good time. Uh, again, we'll eat around 6.15. You can bring a side of dessert and then bring a chair too. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun, uh, meet some pe- some new people. That's right. Um, but that's it. So we'll pray and get out of here. I'll see you all later this afternoon. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. Uh, God, thank you for a pastor that will preach it boldly. Uh, God, thank you for a worship team that will lead. God, thank you for a church. Uh, God, that is just willing to serve others, God. And I pray we do that as we leave this place. Uh, God, we put others in front of us, uh, God, and we serve you faithfully. So just be with us, God. Be with us today as we do have fun day, God. Keep the weather clear. Uh, God, be with us uh, as we do. Just have a good time. Keep us safe. In your name I pray. Amen.